You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Community Church, we're glad that you're here today, whether you're online or in the other room or in this room. Uh, We're joyful you're here. We're joyful to see more and more of you uh, feeling safe to come back and join us in person. We hope that that trend continues in the future, and we keep praying that uh, things will continue to lessen within our society. Isn't it, has there ever been a spring that have you looked forward to more than this spring? Like, you can, like, you can sense, like, there's, there's a finish line to maybe this pandemic. Things are, and you, the sunlight is coming out, and there's just, like, this tension. Like, I want the finish line to be there, and I want, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are, too. Well, we are a church for the city, if you didn't know that. Making much about the name of Jesus, if you've ever asked what life community is about, we have four values that we strive in, to practice love with everyone always, to give more than what makes sense, to chase after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's word. That's who we are, that we strive to be imperfectly, but with perfect uh, effort through the Lord. just a few things that I want to bring to your attention today. Number one, if you're a guy in here, we do this uh, second Saturday of every month at 8 a.m. Uh, we make a lot of bacon. It goes pretty quickly. And we just have a time to talk and we pray and we talk. And it's just a good time uh, to come join us. If, you, if you're looking for ways to plug in to get to know more people, second Saturday of the month every month will be here in the cafeteria. Uh, number two is if you're in here and you sense in your soul that the Lord is maybe asking you to take a step of baptism, not uh, as a way of being saved, but as a way of showing that this is who I believe in, Jesus Christ, and you want to make that public, Uh, then we're offering a baptism class next week that we'd love for you to sign up for at the information desk. We can go over what it means to be baptized, what, what, why we do that, and and what it means for our future journeys with Christ. Uh, So please uh, let us know that. Third, we got five today, is uh, if you don't know this, we're opening our children's ministry up in two weeks on the 21st of March, and so we're gearing up for that. If you're looking to maybe find a way to plug in and volunteer here, Uh, we always could use help in children's ministry. Uh, Fourthly, is that we are going to go ahead with our annual spring feast in person. So that is on uh, Sunday, uh, Palm Sunday. We'll have a meal after service together. Uh, We're working on a little pulled pork meal. I'm excited about that. John Hirely is going to get involved, which is always a good thing for anybody. And so if you're a little concerned about coming around a lot of people, just know we're going to have some to-go options for you. We don't want you to miss out on that, but we'd love for you to stay. And we're going to do all we can to sort of uh, make that a little less, uh, what do we say, Uh, what would be the right word, confined, maybe. Uh, We'll spread out a little bit more. So please note that after service on the 28th, we're going to have our meal. And then lastly, uh, the health department did reach out to us, and they are having trouble getting some of our elderly into the vaccination protocol. If you're looking to get vaccinated, just know that you can tell us your information, and we'll send it to the health department, and they want to contact you. So you can sign up for that if you are looking to do something like that after service. All right, well, let's head into the message today. 
Uh, ninth week of the Beatitudes, we're out of order, um, but we're, we're here. Um, we're in Matthew 5. We're going to be talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. If you're a kid in here and you're used to seeing five words on your paper, you have five words on your paper today, but here's the deal. I rewrote this whole thing last night. So I, I, can't, I can't promise you that you're going to find anything of value in those five words. You can listen and just make up your own words that I that I was, you were supposed to circle. But we are going to be talking about what it means to uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so let's just jump into our gospel here, the Matthew, gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, and we'll read this together. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute, are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they prosecute or persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we just we come before you today, and we just uh, we want to make you big. And Lord, we are just we, we are uh, not worthy of the way that you've loved us. We're not worthy of the way that you've given us grace. We're not even worthy, Lord, that you would bring us this word that we might know more about you. And so, Lord, will you become bigger in our life today? Lord, will you teach us in your word how to account for you rightly, to seek after you rightly? And Lord, will you bring humility to our spirit? Lord, we just claim your peace today. We claim your grace today. Lord, I'm I'm praying specifically over our brothers and sisters who are heading into the mission field in Atlanta today and are on their way down there, Lord, that you would would watch out for them and and just prepare hearts uh, as they go. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. And so the gospel of Matthew that we've been in for a good amount of time here is believed to be the second gospel of the four gospels that were written. In the New Testament, we find four what we call the gospels. They're they're firsthand accounts of the life of Jesus. And there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is believed to be the second gospel written. Mark is to believe to be the first gospel that was written somewhere around as early as 65 AD. Then comes Luke, and the last of gospel to be written is the gospel of John. Now, all of these gospels have a unique flavor and a unique purpose. They all compel the, the very same message, but each author in inspiration approaches that message a bit differently. And so, for instance, Mark, the earliest writer, has a particular way of pointing out Jesus and painting Jesus as a servant within his pages, within his writing. Mark reveals who Jesus is through what he does. He explains Christ's mission and message through his action. 
Luke is a physician historian who dedicates himself to meticulous research and detail to educate people that not only was Jesus the Christ, but he actually walked on earth. He lived and he died and he was a human being. John, who is the disciple John, his firsthand account is focused more on the divinity of Jesus, understanding Jesus as the Son of God. And Matthew, the, the gospel that we have been in, is known to be the most Jewish of all the gospels. Matthew has this sort of formula within its pages that brings out this uh, prophecy and fulfillment theme. He wants to point out that there are prophecies about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament, and he wants to show you how Jesus fulfills them. And so when you read the Gospel of Matthew, you will hear a phrase similar to this. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet such and such. Matthew is a bit more concerned about sequencing truth for you understanding and knowing this to fully understand this than maybe the rest. And so that is true when we walk into the Beatitudes in the gospel of Matthew, these statements of blessing that Jesus gives us from the very beginning of his famous Sermon on the Mount. We find these Beatitudes in two of the four Gospels. We find it here in Matthew, and we find it also in the Gospel of Luke. Matthew writes eight statements of blessing, but in the Gospel of Luke, you will find only four. And so we might think, well, what's the deal here? Is there some sort of contradiction in this? Well, I think it's wise that we revisit, again, the purpose around each author's writing. Luke is trying to educate and establish the historicity of the person of Jesus Christ. Matthew is focusing on sequencing truth for deeper revelation about Jesus Christ as King and Christ. And so it would make sense that Matthew would sequence the Beatitudes in a way that we get a fuller picture, a deeper understanding of what it means to be blessed in God's kingdom and how God's kingdom people are blessed. What it means to be happy, fortunate people living in God's kingdom. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, in the Beatitudes, there is a sequence. There's a build to these things to help us into deeper understanding. And so it looks a little bit like this. We're going to go to the board today. So I can feel cool. I've got my hologram shirt on. And I'm going to write on the board so it'll stand out for you. So if we think of this order in the Gospel of Matthew that reveals this deeper understanding of what it means to be a kingdom person, what we know is that the Beatitudes are not about salvation. This isn't, these things aren't going to save you. These are for people who have responded to the call of Christ. And so what we would like to look at that as is, is this seed of faith. That's a pretty good seed. Right? God plants the seed of faith in our life. I don't know how he does that per se. I'm just going to be, but there is clear scripture that says God draws our hearts to him. God draws our hearts. He puts this seed in our life. And then it is for God's glory that he grows that seed. That seed is grown not for our personal benefit, 
which there is, but that God's glory in the world would be revealed, that he would grow his people to look more like him on the earth so that others might taste his goodness and faithfulness as they go about their lives. And so God, if we think about this, grows and water, he plants, you think of sun, water, God grows the seed, but we have parts in this. The word tells us to abide with the Lord. We have effort in this. And so we abide with the Lord, seeking his knowledge, seeking his truth, living by his spirit. And we abide with him and grow in him in these roots that we just went through. As we grow poor in spirit, as we sense our limitations in front of the Father, as we mourn that we see how far we've belittled his image and his name, and then and when we taste his love and grace and forgiveness, we walk in meekness because we deem that he is worthy to be trusted in our life. That these are the roots of kingdom people. And out of those roots come the empty hands of faith. And we call that hungering and thirsting for the Lord. I have nothing to give, nothing to own, nothing to bring to you, Father, just myself. That is hungering and thirsting for the Lord our empty hands of faith. And from those empty hands, it's like the branches of a tree. And from those empty hands, the fruit of things like peacemaking and mercy and purity begin to grow. But they come from thirsting and hungering from the Lord. And then there's persecution that we see in Beatitudes. It's somebody that is looking from the outside and hating or belittling your pursuit of God. And so today, we want to focus on this shoot, these empty hands of faith that we call hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I have a friend who looks a lot like me. He acts a lot like me. We sort of have the same movement, the same body build. Uh, we, if you didn't know it, appear to be family. And I will tell you that we have used that information to have a running gag on society. So we, we will, as much as we can, we like to try to convince other people that we're brothers uh, it's just something that we do. We don't do it very well because we overplay the whole shtick. And by the five minutes in it, people know that we're being silly and joking, uh, except for one guy, all right? Except for one guy. Uh, 2002, I'm working at a place called Youth for Christ in Muncie. There's a guy on our board named Dean. Dean lives in Muncie. He's part of our board. One day he called my friend whose name is Adam, he called him Steve because we look alike and we didn't correct him. In fact, we, we didn't correct him. We actually played into it. We began to call each other our names. And so I called Adam Steve and he called me Adam. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> Sorry about that. But, but here's the thing, like, this guy supported my ministry. Like, he financially gave money to me in my ministry. Or so he thought, maybe he thought he was supporting Adam. I'm not sure. But guys, it's 2021, and there is somebody in Muncie named Dean who thinks my name is Adam, right? And I'm really close with the actual Adam, and he saw Dean in the recent history, and he called him Steve. 
And so, like, if that makes you want to contact the elders and put me in some sort of church discipline, I get it, right? But there's a giddiness to my soul knowing that somebody thinks my name is Adam right now uh, and literally believes that. Anyways, so I say that uh, because this guy would have talked about my ministry on a weekly basis, but he refused to pay attention. And that, in some ways, is, is so important for us as we approach the Beatitudes. Sometimes we read Scripture and we're not attuned to notice the nuances of Scripture. We're not paying attention to see the sort of narrowing of these truths that Jesus makes. Paying attention matters because if we aren't paying attention, we can get the impression that Jesus is saying something that he never said, or we can become to believe that Jesus is someone that he never was. And that is true of these Beatitudes. There are truths in these Beatitudes that we have to slow down and notice, or we might be led astray into a different belief in a different direction. For instance, when Christ says about his kingdom and his kingdom people, blessed or happy fortunate are those who are poor, like he doesn't end there. Like he narrows the focus. Poor in what? Poor in spirit. Like poverty has nothing about me owning material possessions or the lack of it. It's the poverty of my spirit, being low in my spirit, seeing my own limitations, seeing that I can't fix what's wrong with me. I'm poor in spirit. When he says, blessed are the pure, it doesn't end there. Blessed are the pure in what? The pure in heart. And this would be a direct, indirect opposition to the religious culture of that day who were concerned about purity and appearance and from the outside about how you looked and what you did and how people observed you. So Jesus says, yes, blessed are the pure, but the pure in heart. And we're going to dive into that next week. And then in the last of these Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. But he doesn't end there. Persecuted for what? There's nuance here. Persecuted for righteousness sake. That just means that you can't Say that you're a Christian and treat other people like things and be a jerk and think that you're being persecuted because people don't like you. Persecuted for righteousness sake, for your pursuit of God. And so there are details here that we have to be careful to notice. There's a narrowing of these actions that provide deeper understandings about poverty, purity, persecution, and they all have a grand purpose. Christ is trying to teach us that these are not postures that you can do on your own. Jesus is targeting our hearts to turn these phrases, these blessings into ideas that you know that you can only do through seeking the Lord. I, cannot, I can be poor on my own accord. I can sell all I have, but I can't be poor in my spirit on my own. I can be pure in some ways. I can dress in all white. Maybe I'll do that next week. But I can't be pure in my heart by myself. I can be mocked and jeered and belittled because I'm a jerk. But it is not the natural desire of my flesh to be persecuted for righteousness sake. There are caveats and details narrowing of these actions that utterly change the course of our lives. And so when Christ says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, if we just stop 
paying attention. We were like, oh, great. Yeah, I do that. I'm hungry right now. Like, when do we eat? But he doesn't. But what do we hunger and thirst for? Righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And so let's make it our mission today to just walk through this one sentence in order. It'll take us a couple hours, right? So just calm down. It'll be all right. So we've already established what this idea of blessed means. Blessed arrives nearer an understanding of happy, fortunate, or deeply content. Blessed is the promise to God's believer. Blessed doesn't come from you mastering these postures, right? So if you mastered the idea of what it means to be poor in spirit, it doesn't mean that you're going to be blessed by it. If you mastered mourning, it doesn't mean that you're going to be blessed by it. The idea of blessing is not in your actions or your efforts. It's that you've tasted the splendor and the glory and the love and the grace of Christ. To be known and know Christ is to be blessed. I am happy, fortunate in him. And in that, I have a double blessing because I am happy and fortunate in Christ. I can be happy, fortunate in poverty in soul, in poverty in spirit, because I see the richness of my King. I can be blessed by mourning because I see his size and his bigness, and I realize just how much I belittled and mocked his creation and his name. And because I've tasted his love and his grace and his mercy, I can trust him that he's worthy to guide my life, even if it's taking me into places I would rather would not be. There's slack on the leash, as we talked about last week. Blessed are those who are in Christ, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so let's talk about this idea of hunger and thirsting for a moment. There is a sense in which Jesus, in these Beatitudes, in this particular one, isn't contending to us some creation of a new habit or trying to spark within us a a new fire or a zeal for the Lord, but he's correctly sourcing a fundamental longing that is in all of humanity. There is a universal temperament to the human heart. There is a thirsting and a hungering that is present within all of creation and our, in ourselves. And if that is not properly realized, it will be corrupted and it will be taken advantage of by others. We all hunger and thirst. Just not for righteousness. We all want something to satisfy us, to be full. But do I find a blessing in that? No, I just tend to want more of whatever it is I have, or I want to find something else that I think will satisfy me. We are just constantly thirsting and hungering for things and never finding satisfaction, but always eating. In 1955, this is an interesting thing. Uh, If you drove into one of these new things called McDonald's in California, 
and you arrived at the Golden Arches, and you ordered the largest soda that you could have at that McDonald's, how big do you think that that soda would be? Seven ounces. Seven ounces. Today, if you go to McDonald's and you ask for a large, what are you getting? 32 ounces. And then you're like, well, is there free refills with this, right? We are always hungry, thirsting for something and never able to quench that thirst. We always want more. We have an insatiable hunger. And if we're honest, on our best days, even if all the emails were returned, if every one of our kids was listening or all of our tasks were done if all of our favorite TV shows just lined themselves up perfectly on our agenda, there would still be something in the back of our hearts and minds that says, there's got to be something a little bit better than this. There's got to be something else than this. There's a 17th century French mathematician, philosopher, and theologian, my kind of guy, named Blaise Pascal. And he called this thirst the God-shaped vacuum in the hearts of mankind. Pascal is suggesting that there is something inside of all humanity that remains unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and longing out of the absence of a whole relationship with God. And that is absolutely true. And that is at the root of all of our hunger and thirsting. There is an inconsolable longing in the hearts of humanity that stems from the creation and then fall of mankind in sin. And Solomon writes it this way in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God has put eternity into man's heart, and yet he has withheld from us the vision of what he has done from everlasting to everlasting. There is a temperament to all of creation in this day where we sense somewhere deeply in our soul the perfection of God and his goodness. We know what eternity will be like. We know what wholeness with God felt like. Yet, because humanity and creation is now broken in sin, we have no idea how to name that desire. We can't figure out what's at its root, and we can't quite understand it. Yet, we are constantly starving for it. But yet we try to convince ourselves that we're not starving. We just need something better. There, there's a TV show called Alone that for some reason I watched. I don't know why. But there was a guy on this. It was the coolest thing ever. If you're stranded, isolated by yourself, and you had to find your own food and scour for your own food, what do you think would be like the best thing ever? 
finding a huge animal and killing it and having all of that food. And this is what this guy did. He killed a moose. Like he killed a moose and he skinned it and he hung it and he dried it and he stuck it up in this huge, huge tree that he tripped all, he, uh, he, he cut off all the branches so nobody could, could crawl up it except a wolverine came. There was a wolverine. It's exciting. This is like this wolverine was coming after this moose that he killed with his bare hands. Well, it was an arrow, but let's just make it his bare hands because it's a better story that way, right? A, wo- a wolverine, he killed the wolverine. This guy killed a moose and a wolverine. Like, I want to take lessons from this guy. But here's what happened. You would think that he set, but he was starving to death. He had all of that meat, but he was starving to death because he needed fat. He had all of this protein, and it wasn't what he needed. He needed fat to keep going. And we, in some ways, convince ourselves that this is what I need. This is what I want. But the reality is, is that we're still solving. Here's the deal. We tend to be more focused on prescriptions that will mask the symptoms of my starvation, that will mask the symptoms of my innate hunger and thirst, than ever focusing ourselves on tracing the cause of the disease. We try to deal with the emptiness that it manifests itself out in our lives by thinking to ourselves that what is going to solve this is some better version of myself. And so if I could work out 12 hours a day and get into shape, then I will finally feel good about myself. We think that we'll find it in other people that if I just had this sort of deep relationship or if that person liked me, then then I will be, yes, then I will be satisfied. Or we look out into the world and we're willing to go outside of the boundaries in which God said, this is where I want to, to enjoy this in. We're willing to go outside of those boundaries because we desperately are trying to deal with the emptiness in our lives. C.S. Lewis said something profound. He, he, doesn't he just say profound things all the time, though? He, he says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is, is that we are made for another world. So much truth in that. How much of our life was spent trying to chase down food that never satisfied, only to realize that there is nothing in this world that ever will. Our faithful loving King Christ gently invokes us in this passage that there is one destination for all hungering and thirsting, and it's righteousness. It's righteousness. And it's not something that mankind can do on their own. And so we would like to read this beatitude to say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessedness. But we know that that's empty. It's really righteousness that we desire. And so what is righteousness? We hear this term a lot. My wife said, give me the fifth grade explanation of what it means to be righteous. 
I don't work on that level. Sorry, fifth graders. Um, but if I'm going to try to explain what it means to be righteous, on its most basic level, it means to be justified. Isn't that sort of the desire of most of our hearts in general, is that other people would see me as good, as just, as right? Righteousness deals with justification. But the issue in creation, in you and I, is that righteousness, wholeness, goodness is outside of our own selves. The scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a fallenness to all of us. The problem is to be right is to be right according to the perfection of God. To be righteous is living up to the perfection of God, which none of us can do. But we know who did. And so when we think about the idea of righteousness, it's about the righteousness that has been imputed to us by faith in Christ. A righteousness that was given to us by grace, a gift. And Jesus is speaking to those who are in faith in this room and in that day. When we come to know the grace that the Lord has given to us, that by faith we can be righteous by him and nobody else. He is saying hunger and thirst for that righteousness. And so what it means is that we are in Christ already righteous. You have been given a gift that you could never afford or earn. And now he is saying, act like it. The scripture says when God sees you, you are hidden in Christ. When God sees you, he sees his son. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is to act like you belong. To only have one desire. To seek the Lord. So practically, that means the only thing I am concerned about is looking more and more like Jesus in my heart, in my actions. If I'm rooted in poverty, if I'm rooted in mourning and meekness, I set my mind through the empty hands of faith to look more like Jesus, to be truer to the righteousness of Christ that saved me. Commentary writer David Guzzett, he speaks of hungering and thirsting this way. This describes a profound hunger that cannot be satisfied by a snack. This is a longing that endures and never completely is satisfied on this side of eternity. This passion is real, just like hunger and thirst are real. This passion is natural, just like hunger and thirst are natural in a healthy person. This passion is intense, just like hunger and thirst can be. This passion can be painful just like hunger and thirst can cause pain. This passion is a driving force, just like hunger and thirst can can drive a man. This passion is a sign of health, just like hunger and thirst show health. We desire to be like the righteousness of Christ, to be like him in his morality, in his life. I want to practice his righteousness. I want to grow as close as I can to being like Jesus on my earth. And it's not just uh, in show, 
There are multiple parts of being righteous. There's a private righteousness, a personal righteousness. There's a public righteousness. It means that I desire to understand that character matters. Integrity matters. Who I am matters from the inside. But it also is a righteousness that manifests itself out into being in right relationships with others. That I pursue others and fix those relationships in Christ. To be in right relationships. I am seeking to live righteously and practice that in my own character, in my own soul, as personal holiness. But I also seek it in others. And here's sort of the tension that we rise, that we face. We believe that God has a holy standard, that he has an incorruptible character and goodness about him. But we are far less in our desire of wanting to live like that then we want other people to live like that. And so we pursue other people's righteousness more than we pursue our own. And to end this, Jesus says these words, they will be satisfied. It is only in seeking the righteousness of Christ, the character of Christ, being justified and knowing I'm justified in him, that we will ever be satisfied. There's an amplified version of this scripture that says this, deeply joyful and spiritually whole are those who actively seek right relationship with God and in doing so, discover that he alone can completely save and satisfy their souls. Can we just be honest to say Pursuing righteousness will not always feel satisfied here. But it is satisfying because we believe that there is one who stands above it all, who is just, who will someday answer all of our questions. He will make right every wrong. He will explain to us why these things happened. It is satisfying because it takes the weight off of ourselves. And it puts our joy and our life and our intentions and our desires squarely in the creator of the world where they belong. And so we must ask this question to ourselves. What am I pursuing? What am I hungering and thirsting for? Is it righteousness? Is it being like Jesus? Or is it just a moose that's going to keep me starving? Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you today and we just humbly admit that we like to chase after things that never satisfy. Lord, it is, uh, I've heard a pastor say, it's far easier to save somebody than it is to help somebody see that they're lost. Lord, will you help us to see that we're starving and that our starvation isn't because we haven't found the right puzzle piece for our lives. 
but we're starving because we were designed to live in relationship with you. And so, Lord, will you make it our heart's desire that you are the only thing that we focus on, the only thing that we desire, the only thing that we want. Will you move in our lives? Will you convict us of where we fall short? Will your grace and your love pick us up and help us walk forward? We love you, Jesus, and we pray this humbly through your name. Amen.